Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills so I don't dread April every year, producing a balanced budget, not just for football, and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, how's it going? Welcome back to another live edition of the Chronicles of a Guna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. It's been a few days and I've got some explaining to do. Where the hell have I been, you might ask, or maybe you don't give a shit, uh, to be honest with you. But anyway, um, look, the podcast hasn't been with you guys for a few days through fault of my own. Um, as you can probably tell, my background's changed. As you can probably tell, it is an absolute pigstein here. As you can tell, if you're watching on video, things are all over the place. And the reason for that is because I decided stupidly, and it was stupidly, uh, to try and rearrange the man cave, to tidy it up, to get rid of lots of unwanted junk and clear more space. Why? Because I wanted to make room for my projector screen again so that I could watch the World Cup. The projector screen that I put away for maybe a year and a half because I just wasn't using it. But World Cup came along. I got World Cup fever. I decided I wanted to sit down, watch the games on the big screen. And in my efforts to try and make that possible again, I started a task that I should never have started. It was like opening Pandora's box. If I knew what I was letting myself into when I decided to A, rearrange, but B, start to clear out, I promise you I wouldn't do it again. What a nightmare. But as a result, my computer's not been plugged in. The desk's been in the middle of the room. You could barely walk around in here. It was an absolute nightmare. And therefore, I didn't get a couple of podcasts over to you guys. So I am sorry for that. I have to apologize uh, first and foremost. Um, but also as well, you know, I've, I've really been enjoying the World Cup and I've been enjoying the kind of downtime that's come with that for me. Obviously, I've been busy anyway uh, with work and there is work to be done around the World Cup. But the schedule for me, although there are plenty of games and you're talking four a day um, up until this point, the schedule for me from a work perspective has been a lot. Um, it's been a lot lighter. It's been a lot easier to manage just because of the fact that Arsenal aren't playing every couple of days. And, and that obviously takes up the bulk of my time. What I've been able to do is sit and watch a lot of the games, enjoy the games, take them in, comment on them, on the various bits of work that I've been doing, but not be sort of bogged down in terms of all my time around the games like I would be when Arsenal are in action. So I've quite enjoyed it, I think. I've, you know, it's it's given me a bit of a a breather going into what's going to be a really busy second part of the season, I'm sure. And um and yeah, you know, it's um it's been good. But I have to say, I've missed talking Arsenal. I've sort of read a few stories over the past few days which we're kind of going to round up and summarize and I'm going to share my thoughts on uh, sort of over the next sort of half an hour or so. I've been reading Arsenal stories, um, you know, and, and and seeing today, obviously, that the players returned 
to London Colney, those who obviously aren't involved at the World Cup, has got me back in the mood for Arsenal, back in the mood for the Gunners. And so I want to talk Arsenal. We're, of course, going to touch on what's been happening in the World Cup over the past few days. There's no doubt about that. We'll get into that right here, right now. But we've got to talk Arsenal as well, because there's been some really interesting transfer links. First one uh, being with um, Christian Pulisic of Chelsea. Part of that USA team, of course, that held England to a draw on Friday night. First of all, how likely do I think it is that Christian Pulisic becomes an Arsenal player? I've got to say, not massively likely. I don't think this is a deal that Chelsea will allow. I don't think it's one that Chelsea would even consider unless Arsenal were to go and table a seismic bid, one which made it simply you know, too difficult for Chelsea Football Club to refuse. Now, we know that Chelsea, um, you know, are trying to rebuild. We know that they've brought Graham Potter in to do that. And we know that Christian Pulisic has very much been on the peripheries of things lately. When he plays, I think he divides opinion. I think we can all agree that he's underwhelmed a little bit at Chelsea at points. He's looked very good, uh, very effective. uh, And as though, you know, he's on his way to becoming a star for the club. But that it's it's kind of it's one of those things that threatened to happen but never did. It's one of those things that maybe could have happened under different circumstances with a different manager, perhaps in a different system. And listen, if you'd have asked me this a week ago, I'd have said absolutely not. Keep him away from my football club. And I'm still not saying, by the way, just to be clear, that I want Christian Pulisic. I'm not saying that for a second. But what I am saying is that having seen him play for the US during this World Cup, it's become apparent to me and evident to me that actually this guy's a much better player than what we're seeing at Chelsea currently. Now, that can be down to a number of things. You know, he has struggled. He has been inconsistent. But I think you've got to get to the root cause of these issues in order to understand them. And what is the root cause? Is it that Christian Pulisic is a bad player? Or is it that Christian Pulisic is actually a very decent player but just does not fit in to the current Chelsea system, just does not fit in into the current setup. Because as I say, when you watch him in United States colours, he's hardworking, he picks up the ball, he carries it really, really effectively. He's a really competent dribbler. He commits people and that creates spaces for the players around him. Great marketing tool as well uh, for a football club wanting to grow their fan base even further in the United States. I don't think it would be the worst idea in the world. But as I say, I think it will take too much money to make it happen. And I think that would be something that puts Arsenal off, especially in January when look, I think we we all know that Arsenal need to invest in a couple of areas. We all hope that they do. And I think a lot of us feel like because of the fact that we are where we are, it's an opportunity to really double down and go out and spend money and bring in players that will help us kick on, help us push on, and hopefully see us go on to achieve what we're starting to dream of achieving. As for Christian Pulisic, I don't think it's likely. You know, those reports have been doing the rounds for the past sort of 24, 48 hours. Um, You know, do I think he would fit into Mikel Arteta's team? Probably. Do I think he'd be better under Mikel Arteta than he is under Graham Potter or than he has been under Thomas Tuchel before that. Yeah, I do. I think that there is a player in there somewhere and I feel like Mikel Arteta would be able to extract those qualities 
and, and turn him into a very effective player for us. But as I say, the stumbling point for me would be the actual deal itself. Is it a deal that is achievable? Is it a deal that Arsenal would see worth the risk that they'd have to take financially in order to, to get Chelsea essentially to let one of their players join a direct rival? I don't think so. I, I don't think the club will see it as something that they're looking to do. I don't think the club will see it as a priority. Is it one that reeks of opportunity more than anything else? Probably. But you don't always snatch at every single opportunity that comes your way, because if you do, you'll constantly make mistakes. If he's a long-term target, if he's someone that Arsenal have admired for a period of time, if he's someone that Mikel Arteta has admired for a period of time, that's totally different. But I don't think he is, not to our knowledge anyway. This feels like a player who's gone to the World Cup, has performed, has proven maybe some people wrong about what he's capable of, about what he can do. And now his agents or, or the people around him are, are wheeling out stories about an interest from the likes of Arsenal in order to try and uh, and get their client the move that he probably feels he needs at this stage. But anyway, is it likely? No. Would I take him if the price was right? Yes, I would. Now, I know a lot of people say no, and I can see in the chat that plenty of you disagree with me, and that's absolutely fine. Let's go through some of those comments and see uh, what you guys are saying, because uh, Sam says, please, not Pulisic. So I take it uh, that you're not a fan. Let me know why. Let me know why in the chat people are so anti-Christian uh, uh, Pulisic. Richie says, eyes crossed, we don't get him. Chelsea fans are not that keen on him. Yeah, agreed uh, that Chelsea fans' opinion is divided on him. There's no, there's no doubt about that. Uh, that's for sure. Um, Marcy asks, is he an Arteta type player? I think he could be. And and the reason I say that, let me explain myself a little bit, right? Because when people say an Arteta type player, what is an Arteta type player? For me, a Mikel Arteta type player is somebody who is energetic, who can carry the ball, who can progress the ball, who plays with an intensity level that is above average. And I think that although in the Chelsea side, we haven't always seen that, I think we have seen it in this USA side during this tournament. Now, I know the USA have only played twice, but I thought they were very, very good in their first game against Wales for probably 70% of it, ended up losing the game, uh, drawing the game, I beg your pardon. And of course, Christian Pulisic played a big role that day and a big part in that positive performance. And then, of course, they got the draw against England, where again, he impressed me, where again, I thought he had a really good game. I thought he showed a lot of the qualities um, that, you know, you would associate with Mikel Arteta, his current side. And if you had a tick list, the checklist of what Mikel Arteta is looking for in a winger, given that we all believe and feel that Arsenal are looking for one of those this window, I think Christian Pulisic ticks a lot of those boxes. You know, it hasn't gone as he would have liked at Chelsea. There's no question about that. But lots of players go to certain clubs, don't really fit in at that particular club, and then have to make another move to then go on and rectify that. Let me just bring up some of Christian Pulisic's statistics. You know, this guy's 24 years old. Uh, obviously, a United States international, 54 caps so far, 21 goals to his name. 
if we go to his stats by club and we look at where he is, this is a guy who scored 26 times and provided 21 assists. So that's 47 direct goal contributions in 133 appearances for Chelsea. He managed 19 goals in 127 games for Borussia Dortmund, 26 assists in that time as well. So he is someone who is effective in the final third, whether people like him or not. Um, Richie says, granted, he does look better at international level. Uh, Bad Boy says no to Pulisic. He looks good because international football is at League Two standards. Hmm. Uh, Sam says, I've no doubt Arteta could get the best out of him, but would much prefer Mudrick. I've never rated Pulisic. Uh, Lynn says Pulisic seemed a much better player when he first came to Chelsea, but since he's had three new managers, he doesn't seem to get much of a chance. Um, Luke Williams says, I think he could work in the right team. It doesn't suit how Chelsea play, which is pragmatic. And I actually put a tweet out about Pulisic earlier on, and I, it was something along the lines of, now that we've seen him playing for the US and we've seen him play well and we've seen how effective he can be, is there a case to be made that actually his inconsistencies slash struggles are as a result of being in the wrong team, playing in the wrong system and playing under the wrong coaches? And a, a couple of Chelsea fans replied to that. And one of them said, yeah, look, it's, it's not just Christian Pulisic. There are a number of players that have suffered from this at Chelsea in the modern era. And I thought that was really, really interesting to read. I, I really do. Um, but yeah, could he work in the Arsenal team? Maybe. But again, I'll circle back to my original point. I think this is too difficult a deal for the Gunners to do. I mean, if you go on to his transfer mark page, and I always say this, I know it's not the gospel, but you're talking about a player valued currently at about 42, 43 million pounds. Add to that that he'd be joining a rival and you'd expect Chelsea to go quite big on, on the markup, wouldn't you? And that would probably make it too difficult to do. Now, let me make one thing clear, right? Okay, Arsenal are in a great position. Arsenal are flying. Arsenal are five points clear of Manchester City at the top of the pile in the Premier League. And a lot of us believe and feel that Arsenal need to and should go out in January and add further reinforcements to make us stronger, to better equip us for what is to come in the second part of the season. But be under no illusions. There are not unlimited funds at our disposal. OK, there will be limitations to what we can do in January. We've seen it in the last couple of Januaries where we've expected as fans for the club to go really big. And that's not materialised. That's not happened because they've spent big in the summers. The strategy, the process, the plan includes Arsenal making their biggest investments in the summer, not in January. So what we have to wait and find out is, do Arsenal feel like they can go on and win this Premier League? Have Arsenal seen ample progress to suggest that if they do double down and invest a little bit more and perhaps potentially stretch themselves just that little bit at this point, that we will reap the rewards from it in the long term. That is what we're going to have to wait and see. But don't think that it's going to be like a summer window. Don't think that Arsenal are going to go out there and spend £200 million or £150 million. I think Arsenal will be looking at two players, but I think they'd rather get one very, very good one 
in either of the two priority positions as I see it, which would be obviously a, a winger and, of course, a central midfielder. If you can get both happy days, we probably need both if we're going to sustain a title challenge. But I'm not convinced that Arsenal are going to go out there and break the bank in January. And that's why when I read some of these stories, I think about them for a bit and I I think, yeah, I'd quite like a bit of him. I'd quite like a bit of that. But is it going to happen? That's what you've got to ask yourself. And is it a realistic thing to achieve? Is Christian Pulisic someone that Arsenal can bring in in January? I don't know. I really don't. I think it's going to cost a lot of money. I think it's going to I think it's going to be a difficult deal to do, as I keep saying, because of Chelsea and our relationship. And as a consequence of that, as a result of that, I think it's highly unlikely that we do this deal in January. I'd quite like him. I would, but the price has to be right. I think there's a, a level of risk that I'd be prepared to take on someone like Christian Pulisic. It's not a 50, 60 million pound type of risk. If he was available for 25, 30 million because Chelsea want to clear the decks and Chelsea want to move him on, I think that's worth a punt. But when you start getting into the bigger figures, then I, I worry a little bit and I'd probably run a mile, to be honest with you. OK, uh, let's talk Mikhailo Mudrik because he's another one that we've been linked with for a while. Um, is Mikhailo Mudrik going for half the price that Shakhtar publicly say they're wanting to sell him for or would be open to selling him for? Because, um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one, this, isn't it? He talks quite openly about his admiration for Arsenal. He talks quite openly about the fact that he would one day quite like to play for the club. A lot of the noises coming out of his camp suggest that he has his heart set on Arsenal. A lot of the noises tell us that, you know, this is ultimately where he wants to end up. He wants to end up in the Premier League. He is excited by the Arsenal project and that although Shakhtar are giving it the lip service and telling everybody and anybody who will listen that they want 80 to 100 million euros for this guy, actually they'd be willing to sell him for quite a bit less. That's what some of the reports coming out over the past couple of days have told us. Others are telling us that Arsenal have this deal earmarked and that conversations have been had and that it's a deal that they're looking to do in January. Others tell me that actually this deal won't be done until the summer. It's impossible for a deal of this size to be done in January. I don't know what to believe. What I do know, though, is that Mudrik's people are pushing for that move to Arsenal. They believe it would be a good destination for him. They believe that Mikhailo Mudrik will become an Arsenal player. But it's more a kind of question around whether that's something we could do now or if it's something that we're going to have to wait for. And if we have to wait until the summer and Mikhailo Mudrik continues to perform and his stock continues to rise and other clubs become alerted to that, other clubs have more opportunity to watch him and understand a little bit more about what he is about as a player, we could then have a battle on our hands. That's what Shakhtar want. That's the dream for Shakhtar Donetsk, a bidding war. What more could they want? So I'm a little bit, you know, I'm a little bit worried to go, yeah, you know, this is a done deal. Those are what the noises are telling us. That is what the suggestion is, that Arsenal have, you know, a lot of confidence in, in getting this deal over the line come January. But I think it would be in Shakhtar's interests to hold out and take this to the summer and potentially spark a bidding war 
for their star man. Ultimately, they're going to want to be compensated as best as possible, understandably. So, yeah, you know, they're going to do what works for them. They don't care about us, and why should they? You know, there's also suggestions that the idea of playing alongside Alexander Zinchenko is something that very much appeals to Mikhailo Mudrik. Well, if that's the case, then we need Zinchenko to help out. If it's a deal that Arsenal want to do, we need Zinchenko to be planting those seeds. We need him to be going undercover. We need Agent Zinni uh, at his uh, at his brilliant best if we're going to, you know, convince the player that this is the place for him. And then what that does in turn is if you convince the player, then he pushes harder. And if he pushes harder from his side, the club will feel like they've got their backs up against the wall and will feel like at some point they have to compromise in order to get the money that they feel that the player is worth. And what I mean by that is they will have to accept the reality. And the reality is that Mikhailo Mudrik is not going to stay at Shakhtar Donetsk forever. And if a, a suitor comes along that the player is keen on joining, then sometimes as a football club, yeah, you're going to dig your heels in. Yeah, you're going to try and get as much as you possibly can. Understandably so. But as a football club at that point, you have to say, well, you know, we don't want this saga to rumble on. If the price is right, we'll do it. Let's make it happen. And uh, and that comes a lot from the player pushing as well. So I don't know that the Mudrik deal is done. I don't know that there's been any progress made on that. But based on some of the reports we've read recently, actually Shakhtar Donetsk are not going to be as ambitious in the amount of money that they're asking for the player as was perhaps initially uh, suggested. Some are saying that Arsenal have won the race already to sign Mikhailo Mudrik. I'm not sure. Uh, I don't know that to be true. So I'm going to sort of sit on the fence with this one and say it's a deal I'd quite like us to do. But, you know, is is it one that we can do in January? Or is this again another one that we're going to have to wait until the summer? Now, if you asked me which of the two positions I mentioned earlier I would prioritise, winger, centre midfielder, I'd prioritise centre midfielder and I'll tell you why. Because obviously... We've got Emil Smith-Rowe coming back into the picture um, after the break. He should be uh, back. He should be back in contention. So what you'd have in terms of wide options would be, uh, you know, Saka, Martinelli, Emil Smith-Rowe. You've got Reese Nelson still at the club. Fabio Vieira could play in one of those positions if you needed him to. Eddie Nketi has been known to cover, particularly on the left-hand side. We know that Gabby Jesus can do it too. So, for me, the priority would be that central midfielder. A winger would be nice, but I only want a winger that we see as a long-term solution. I don't want us to go and bring in a wide equivalent of Kim Kallstrom, for example. That's not what I'm looking for uh, in this window. It's a smaller squad that we've purposely trimmed down. It's a squad that has a great unity uh, within it because of the fact that it is so small and because of the fact that there are no passengers anymore. There are a group of players there of whom everybody's involved, everybody's invested, and that's what you want to see, isn't it? Um, it really, really is. Some other news uh, from an Arsenal perspective before we um, briefly touch on some of today's World Cup action. Uh, the Manchester City game that was, of course, postponed so that we could fulfil that Europa League fixture off the back of uh, one of our games being cancelled because of Queen Elizabeth's death. Um, that has finally been arranged. That game will now take place on February the 15th, the day after Valentine's Day. And that will be at Emirates Stadium. It will be on Amazon Prime uh, if you want to watch it. And that game 
falls in between Brentford at home and then Aston Villa away at the weekend. So, um, yeah, that's been rearranged. February the 15th, Arsenal take on Manchester City. In the FA Cup, the Gunners have been drawn against Oxford United in the third round, and that one will be played at the Kassam Stadium in Oxford. The last time we met Oxford in the FA Cup, we beat them at this exact stage back in 2003. Burkamp and an own goal. Uh, worth to thank for that victory at Highbury. Uh, what a place. Legendary, legendary uh, place. But yeah, this is a League One side. I expect us to win. I expect us to be able to make wholesale changes and still progress. But as I've said to you guys before, the FA Cup, the League Cup, none of the Cups are a priority for me this season. And if we have to sacrifice them because of the things we've talked about, because of the lack of depth, because of the fact that the squad is that bit smaller, then so bloody be it. So be it. Um, you know, I love the FA Cup. It's our trophy. It's something that is so prevalent in Arsenal's history. It's something that is so big in Arsenal's history. But, you know, you have to pick your priorities, especially when you've got, as mentioned, a smaller group, a smaller squad. So those are some of the latest news lines. Uh, let's quickly touch on some of the World Cup action that we've seen over the last few days. Um, I mean, I guess we've got to start with England against USA. What a dull performance from England. It was really, really bad. I thought that they were tactically outthought. I thought that physically they were outbattled. I thought that the USA, from an athletic point of view, were just so much better in every way. Did they want it more? I don't know. Look, England, you know, just had to make sure that they didn't lose that game. I mean, the likelihood of them crashing out off the back of that is still very, very minimal. But obviously, they've got to play a Welsh side tomorrow night that are going to be right up for it. Uh, game of their lives, I've seen it described as. And uh, England need to be on guard and alert against any complacency. Because I think there was a little bit of complacency going into the US game. I'd done some work uh, you know, in the build-up to that with some colleagues who said US are a bang average side, a mediocre side, and we should easily turn them over. But it didn't prove to be like that, did it? US were arguably the better team of the two overall, uh, were much better in midfield. I thought they controlled the game well. I thought the spells that they did have possession, they used the ball really effectively. But they reminded me of a boxer without a knockout punch. That's how I would summarise what I saw, or, or that would be the comparable to what I saw from the US side. Great in the build-up, really nice to watch. Um, but they just, they're just missing that final punch and, and that could let them down, you know. And they've got a game against Iran, which is a huge game um, for, for you know, multiple reasons. So, uh, yeah, let's see how it goes. Uh, let's see how that goes uh, moving forward. But England were disappointing on the night. There's no question about that. Uh, France, of course, beat Denmark. Um, that was a, a really interesting game sort of in the build-up. I was looking forward to that one. And I thought that the um, the French kind of just showed again that even when they don't play brilliantly for an entire game, they've just got so much quality, in particular with Kylian and Mbappe. And they can win matches just like that. Argentina-Mexico on Saturday night was the one that I was really looking forward to over the weekend. It was the game that I couldn't wait to sit down and watch. Um, and it was really underwhelming in terms of the game itself. I thought it was disappointing. I thought it was a game in which neither side was able to really impose themselves. 
lots of possession. But anytime any of the two sides tried to get into the final third, they struggled. Mexico was set up really, really well, really strong physical side as well. They put themselves about, didn't they? And they made it tough for Argentina. But the one moment that Lionel Messi found himself with, what, a circle of five yards space in that final third with the ball at his feet, he did the damage. And that's what the great players do. They pop up when you need him most. And Lionel Messi uh, did that for Argentina. Mind you, Enzo Fernandez's goal was pretty damn special too. Uh, the one that obviously made it 2-0 and put the game to bed. Uh, on Sunday, Portugal, uh, I beg your pardon, Belgium stunned by Morocco. But I wasn't stunned. After watching that Belgium side against Canada, um, you know, I wasn't surprised to see that Morocco, who were just a little bit more... What's the word? It had a little bit more quality, a little bit more magic in the final third areas with a number of players. You you felt like that was coming and, and credit to Morocco. You know, the support was amazing and uh, and their performance was amazing and they got a really, really good win. Japan, shock loss to Costa Rica, which leaves that group crazy wide open now going into the last round of games. Nobody saw that coming after Costa Rica's 7-0 whipping uh, at the hands of Spain. And then, of course, Japan beating Germany. Um, but Japan just couldn't break them down. And that was the Costa Rica I expected to see going into the tournament. One that would be very tough to break down defensively. One that would be very stubborn. One that would be well-versed in the dark arts of the game and be looking for a smash and grab. And that's exactly what they got. Uh, Germany-Spain was the Sunday night game. Again, uh, an intriguing match, that one, that didn't really spark into life, I didn't think until quite late on. Yeah, there were moments. Yes, it was intriguing tactically. It was fascinating to see Hansi Flick and Luis Enrique go head to head. And when Morata came on for Spain and scored, you thought, well, Luis Enrique's done him here. He's brought on Morata. He's changed the game. He's scored the goal and Spain are going to sail off into the sunset. But, um, you know, Germany made an inspired change as well. Fulkrug, the, um, I don't want to say nobody, but someone that's come from, you know, way out of the spotlight and is now in a position where, um, you know, he's a, he's a national hero. He came off the bench and really changed the game and scored a, a really good goal to put Germany back on level terms. And it keeps their hopes alive going into the final game. As for today's action, well, it was bloody entertaining, wasn't it? Uh, Cameroon, of course, in the morning, taking on Serbia, really entertaining game that. Uh, of course, it ended in a stalemate, uh, which means that Serbia now have to get something, now have to beat Switzerland, whom uh, there's quite a bit of history with. That's going to be a really interesting clash. And people will ask why. Well, obviously, there's some tension between Serbia and Albania that has been for a long, long time. And a lot of the Swiss team, or at least two or three of the Swiss players, are of Albanian descent. And we had an incident, didn't we, a few years back, when uh, I, I, was it Granit Xhaka or was it Sherdan Shakiri? It escapes me right now. But one of them made the kind of Albanian eagle sign uh, against Serbia, and that sparked a lot of controversy, a lot of debate, a lot of animosity, and uh, and so that could be a really feisty encounter. Um, moving on to the second game of today, of course, Ghana took on South Korea. Ghana going two nil up, and I'm sitting there thinking, bloody hell, no, no. No. Now, listen, I've got loads of Ghanaian friends. Uh, I've got loads of Ghanaian listeners on this podcast. It is no disrespect to any of you, but I want Thomas Partey home. I want Thomas Partey back at London Coney 
wrapped up and stored under the Christmas tree until we're ready to return to Premier League action. That is what I want with Thomas Partey. So please, please protect him. Oh Lord, protect him. So I wouldn't mind Garner crashing out for that reason. No other reason. Credit to South Korea, though. They came back from 2-0 down to make it 2-2, and they made a real contest of it. But, of course, Garner, through Kudus again, uh, managed to snatch a winner later on. Brazil um, huffed and puffed against Switzerland for a long time, had a lot of the ball, but couldn't break down a very, very difficult, um, you know, a very, very difficult uh, Swiss defence to, to penetrate. And uh, and at one point that looked like that was headed for a draw. But then, of course, up popped Casemiro, uh, deflected effort, beat Jan Sommer in the Swiss goal and gave Brazil their best start to a World Cup in 20 years, I believe, uh, and puts them through to the round of 16. And then tonight's game, Portugal against Uruguay. It finished Portugal to Uruguay nil in the end. I had this down as a real bore draw. Um, just based on the managers, based on what we've seen of the two teams so far, it was all right. It wasn't the game that, um, you know, it wasn't the game that some people build it up to be. I didn't think anyway. Um, the funniest part was was definitely Cristiano Ronaldo pretending he scored a goal uh, to the point where he'd risk being offside in order to just try and get something on his mate's goal. Uh, he'd also run to the corner flag um, as if he's just got the winner in the World Cup fight. It was incredible. The, the stadium announcer read it out as Bruno Fernandes. FIFA initially credited the goal to Cristiano Ronaldo and then changed it, which would be much, of course, to his frustration. Okay, uh, let's take one or two questions uh, before I bid you guys a farewell. Uh, Lynn says, Harry, do you think that some of the players who have gone to the World Cup, especially players who are playing in the Premier League, don't really look that interested about being there as the season is going to be long. I just think at the start of World Cups, Lynn, you get a lot of cagey matches and you get a lot of matches whereby people are scared of, of putting a foot wrong. Um, and uh, and yeah, that that's, um, that's, that's what it is for me. I, I don't think there's players there that aren't committed. I think that everybody will be who's at the World Cup will, of course, want to win the World Cup, want to do their country proud and want to you know, better themselves in their own personal careers. I just think that it's it's just an unprecedented thing, isn't it? It's quite hard, I think, to switch your mind from club mode to country mode in the space of three or four days, whereas in a normal season where you've got a tournament at the end of it, you would have some time to kind of process what's happened at club level, switch off from that, kind of put it to the back of your mind and focus on international stuff and go away on a camp with your teammates, get used to each other, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But what you've seen this time is Premier League finishes. The next day you're flying out, you know, and and you've got three or four days, three or four sessions before the tournament begun. It's not ideal, um, and I think that's having an impact on on the football. And then maybe it comes across as a result of that, um, as though people maybe don't care as much. I don't think that's true. Um. Sam says, are you missing watching the Arsenal win every week? It seems like the World Cup has been going on for months now. Listen, I'm enjoying the World Cup. I really am. But um, I do miss Arsenal. And that's why I wanted to do predominantly Arsenal chat this evening. Um, I've been really, really lucky over the last couple of weeks. I've, I've been able to work for Arsenal. Um, the club that I've grown up supporting, the club that I love, and it's been 
an absolute dream. Um, honestly, I'm so grateful for the opportunity. Uh, but I've been doing commentary on the under-21s. Uh, two games. I did their game against Stoke in the Premier League Cup last weekend, which they drew. A little bit disappointing. But to be fair to Mehmet Ali, what they obviously ad- agreed or decided to do internally was to promote a lot of the under-18s um, up to that level and give them the opportunity to to try their hand in the Premier League Cup, which is under-21 level. It didn't really work, to be honest with you. Um, but then, of course, I was I was on duty again this weekend away to Swansea in the same competition. And this time we saw uh, more of the under-21s. I was really impressed by Catalin Chirian in particular. Really, really talented player. I liked uh, Butler Oyedeji up front. Uh, Joel Ideo on the left was very good. Charles Sago Jr. as well. I uh, like the look of Bradley Ibrahim at the base of midfield. There's a lot of players in that group that I, I quite like the look of. And I think have the potential, of course, to go on and, and do bigger and better things eventually. But it's always difficult at under 21 level to really understand how that form and their qualities and what you see would translate onto the bigger stage. But yeah, I am missing the Arsenal. Um, I've had a, a little bit of a taste of Arsenal with the under 21s, which has been interesting. It's been an eye opener. Um, but yeah, of course, I'm, I'm definitely missing uh, watching Arsenal in front of a, a packed crowd at Emirates Stadium playing at that incredible level that we've seen so far this season. Definitely missing it and can't wait for the Gunners to return to action. We've got some friendlies coming up, which kind of whet our appetites just a little bit behind closed doors game coming up against Watford. We understand uh, we haven't got any details uh, on that just yet. When I checked yesterday, uh, we knew it was going to be this week, but no date or time had been confirmed. We probably won't ever have it confirmed. We'll probably just get a notification uh, at some point this week saying Arsenal 3, Watford 1, whatever, in a behind-closed-doors friendlies with a couple of lines on on maybe what happened. But, yeah, that'll be that. Okay, uh, guys, um, I'm going to take one more, actually. Uh, let's take this one from Richie. He says, I like the World Cup. It shows me players you would not normally see. Is there anyone who has caught your eye? Really good question. Um, really, really good question. I've I've liked the look of some of the Saudi players. Um, you know, I think some of them have looked really strong and really physical and and equipped essentially to go on and play in other places. I've liked the look of um of uh of Takuma Asano, actually. Um, you know, he came off the bench in that game for for Japan against Germany, an ex-Arsenal player, of course. Never played for us, never got a work permit, but was on our books. Um, you know, he's impressed me. Um, it's good to see. Um, you know, it, 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 it's hard really to pinpoint individuals. I, I haven't been like wowed by anyone. I haven't looked at someone and gone, yeah, wow, we need to sign him. But it's early in the tournament still. Um, I've been impressed teams-wise by Ecuador. I didn't think that they would be as strong as they are. Um, I've been impressed by Morocco. Um, I've been impressed by Saudi Arabia at times. I don't think it's always translated into uh, into results. Well, obviously, it hasn't outside of the Argentina game. They were beaten by Poland. I've liked the look of, of US. I thought they were much better than I expected. I think that... Um, I think that uh, Canada gave a good account of themselves in terms of performances, at least for one game and a half. Um, you know, I thought they were competitive and, and again, surpassed a lot of people's expectations. 
but yeah it's um it's a difficult one to read really i just think nowadays right like we've got so much information at our fingertips we we watch so much football we've got so many sources of information that i don't really go into world cups anymore and go oh well i didn't know about this guy or you know i don't i'm not really shocked by players anymore you know we 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 might not know everything about everyone and, and we may not have in-depth knowledge about a lot of these nations and, and some of their players, but generally you, you, you know who the people are to look out for just because of, as I say, how much information we have available to us at that, at this moment in time. And um, yeah, so it's, it's no longer that kind of surprise factor that you're essentially watching the world cup for anyway. Okay. We're going to leave it there. Uh, thank you all so, so much. Um, won't be back tomorrow because I'm going to be at 90 Min's uh, watch-along party of the England versus Wales game. If you're not subscribed to the 90 Min channel, make sure you are because uh, we're going to be doing a live show from the Curtain Club in Shoreditch with a studio audience uh, reacting to England's game versus Wales. That should be uh, really, really fun. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, so make sure you check that out on the 90 Min YouTube channel. I think we'll be live probably from about quarter past nine uh, after the game is done. So that should be good. Um, and then we'll be back here on Wednesday. I'll bring you another podcast on Wednesday. And uh, as we get closer towards Arsenal returning, the frequency of these podcasts, of course, will increase. So thank you all so, so much. Uh, good to see so many of you in the chat. I'll see you all next time. Until then, goodbye, guys. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.